0: Will you first of all turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Our scripture lesson is not from Acts, but I cannot imagine having an Ascension Day service without reading at least the historical account of Christ's resurrection, our Ascension. Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. The former treatise, Have I made, O Theophilus? You boys and girls, you'll remember that Luke is the writer. So the former treatise, the former letter that he wrote, is the book of Luke. And in in that book, he says, he wrote about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father Which, saith he, ye have heard of me? For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him, go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And now if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. the author of Hebrews has been comparing Jesus to Moses, to Aaron and those priests. And now he begins to explain that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is in chapter 5, verse 10. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But before he goes on to that, and he finally picks it up again in chapter 7, he backs off to speak of other things. So we're going to begin our reading at verse 17. Wherefore God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle deviates from setting forth Christ in all of his splendor and glory to talk about these believers. And he's going to be urging them in in this chapter, chapter 6, of their preservation and their perseverance unto the end. He doesn't want them to fall away. True children of God will not fall away, but there are those who are raised in the church, those who are given Christian homes and Christian schools and instruction, but are not truly converted that do fall away. And it is those who apostatize. They try to humiliate Christ who is seated in God's eternal glory. And the apostle in verse 9 believes better things of those to whom he is writing this epistle. How are we, how are they to Persevere to the end. That is, to the end of our lives or to the end of the world until Jesus comes again. And we can find it at the end of verse 18. Fleeing for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. I want to speak this evening about our hope. And that's why I have spoken, I entitled my sermon, Our Blessed Hope, or Our Anchor in Heaven. Boys and girls, you just finished school today. So there's got to be some of you, grades, that have learned in English the difference between a simile. And a metaphor. Do you remember that? Got some teachers here looking around. A Simile is when you have a comparison using a word like or as. A metaphor is different. It doesn't use those words. It just calls something by a different name. Let me give an example of a metaphor. Jesus is the door. So that's a name all of a sudden for Christ Jesus. So we have a simile in our text, and we have a metaphor in our text. The simile is we have a hope, which hope we have as an anchor. Later on, we have a metaphor. We have this anchor which entereth into that within the veil. And we're going to have to look at what that metaphor is. But let's begin with what the Apostle is talking about. He's been discussing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, birth, Jesus Christ, death, Jesus Christ, resurrection from the dead, and Jesus Christ, ascension into heaven. What a hope. Now, there's different ways we use hope. We have a holiday on Monday. And I might say, I hope on Monday when all the kids and all the grandkids are around, that it doesn't rain. I hope it's nice and sunny. It looks good for the forecast, but who knows with those forecasts. That is not the way that the Bible uses the word hope. We who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope Set before us. Here, the word hope means a certain thing, a definite thing. And it is certain because, as we read in verse 17, God confirmed it with an oath. And what is he talking about? Well, there was a promise made to Abraham. And that promise was to Abraham about a seed. And we know from Galatians chapter 3 that he's not talking now about all the descendants of Abram. He's not even talking about the elect descendants of Abram. But from Galatians 3 we know about the seed, Christ Jesus. And what was the promise that God gave to Abraham in whom all nations were to be blessed? That's what Pentecost is about, isn't it? And then there was an oath made also, and we find it in Psalm 110, that the Messiah would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the author of Hebrews says those are two truths sealed with an oath Unchangeable. It is impossible for God to lie. And that is the hope that is set forth by the gospel and the letter that the apostle here is writing to the Hebrews. So that hope is set forth to us. Set forth to us by the gospel by God. And we read then that it is a hope that is we are to lay a hold of. That means grab it, make it your possession. And we take hold of that hope. We make it our possession by faith. It is the hope of eternal life. we are made to see here in this passage that all expectations of a final hope or happiness, except that which the gospel warrants, are unfounded. They are all hopes that will make us ashamed. But the hope set before us in the gospel by the promise and the oath of God Gives us, our author says, a strong consolation. That word means an encouragement. When things look so dark at times, or when my conscience lets me know what a wretched sinner I am, the gospel gives me a strong hope, a strong consolation that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost. So that, even if there's many things that cause us to despair, we hope. These declarations are absolutely true. They have a sanction of God. In Christ Jesus, our sins are blotted out. In Christ Jesus, we have everlasting life. God, who is possessed of infinite power, goodness, faithfulness, it is impossible that his promise should fail. The salvation of those who come to God through Jesus Christ is just as certain as the destruction of those who continue in unbelief and will not come to God by Christ. So let's talk about this hope. How does the author of Hebrews describe that hope? Very interesting. He says, we have it as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and entering into within the veil. That's the hope of the child of God. The hope of eternal life, through the priesthood of Jesus Christ, it is sure, it is steadfast. It will not disappoint. It enters into that which is within the veil that has reference to heavenly blessings. The object is the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with the eternal glory that flows Being with Christ where he is, sharing his glory. That, beloved, is the Christian's hope. So, having laid down that hope, let's look at some of those interesting phrases a moment. We have that hope as an anchor of the soul. That's the simile. The hope is as an anchor. Well, who needs an anchor? A boat needs an anchor. And in the Bible, the wicked world that we live in is often compared to a restless sea, big waves and winds blowing. And the church and believers in the church are compared to a ship on those waves. When the ship is in a harbor, it needs an anchor put down so that it doesn't drift off into the wrong path or into another ship. In a violent storm, a ship may be anchored to keep it from blowing up on the rocks or otherwise blowing onto a sandbar like the ship that Paul was on and his journey to Rome. You and I also need an anchor because we are exposed also to storms in our lives. The temptations to sin bombard us. Sucks. Lying, coveting, bitterness, hatred, persecution, afflictions, cancer, other diseases, fears, doubt, sin, death. Or there is the being blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Those storms beat upon us. And as pilgrims in this world, we have no solid ground to stand on. In the midst of sin and misery and corruption and death, we are tossed about as if we were in the middle of the sea, a strong sea. Do you feel that at times? Almost despair especially when our faith is weak. I think, boys and girls, of the story of Peter when he went out of the boat to walk on the water to go to Jesus and all of a sudden he took his eyes off Jesus and to the big waves and the wind and there he sank and he said, Lord, I perish. It's then in our storm-tossed boats that our souls need that assurance of the hope that is set before us. It needs an anchor that will hold us. But we need an anchor not only when there's storms, when there's trials, but also when the waters seem calm. If the water is nice and calm... We might like to lay back and dream and sunbathe. I remember a time being on a float out in the lake, and all of a sudden my wife is yelling at me from the shore because I had fallen asleep and I was drifting out quite a ways in the lake. And in these calm times, we too need an anchor lest we just drift with the times whether we drift with the world that we are, we become lazy, haphazard, and we are not keeping our faith. And we're drifting along with the times that accommodate itself to our sinful flesh. We need an anchor then to keep steady, not to be lulled asleep, with that orthodoxy, not to be fluctuating with every different stream of water as it goes here or there. We need to stand firmly grounded in the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. We need an anchor. Our hope is in God. Our faith is in God's promises. As we read at the beginning of our worship service, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Tied to Jesus Christ in his ascension. Storms all around us. We need that anchor, notice, for our souls. God created us body and soul. That soul is that spiritual side of us that either is a friend with God, knowing God and loving Him, or there are the souls of others who hate God, despise Him, We need that anchor for our soul. And when you throw that anchor down into the water from the ship, it becomes invisible, doesn't it? You don't see it. It sinks down, down, down deep until it finally hits some rock or something on the bottom of the lake and you are held steady. But you are held steady even though you don't see that anchor. And that's where there is a dissimilarity between the one thing and what it is similar to. Because the anchor, spiritually for us, doesn't go down. For there is nothing here in the world to anchor our soul on. It is all passing. The anchor for our souls goes up. And that's where the metaphor comes in, doesn't it? It is within the veil. And what is that veil? Well, boys and girls, in Bible history and school, you studied about the tabernacle that Moses was commanded to construct. And later on, there was the temple that Solomon built. And there was the outer court, and then there was the holy place where there was the candelabra, where there was the altar of incense, but then there was a veil, 90 feet tall, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. Where there was the ark of the covenant with the mercy seat you remember with those cherubim with their wings over the ark of the covenant that was where God dwelt in the midst of his people and that veil in the temple is now a metaphor for heaven heaven where God dwells in all of his majesty, and as we read later on in our text, heaven where Jesus Christ bodily ascended here from earth up to heaven. Our anchor, that is our hope, is in heaven. Grounded there in the rock, Christ Jesus. Oh, what a sure anchor that is when our hope is in Christ Jesus alone for our salvation. He writes more here about Christ Jesus. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And if you've got your Bible still open, what I probably should do is on my outlines type out the the pericope of Scripture. But notice whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. Do you catch that? Jesus entered into heaven. He ascended into heaven to receive the honor and the glory that was due his He had left that glory when he came down to earth in our flesh and dwelt among us. But now having accomplished our salvation, God raised from the dead, he is exalted up to heaven and given all glory and honor and power. He entered for his glory. And Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, I think it's John 17, verse 24, says, he wants us to be with him where he is, that we may see his glory and participate in that glory. So he entered heaven for his own glory, but second of all, he entered in our text for us. For us. Why? Why is he doing that? What does he have to do? And it's because Christ Jesus has entered into heaven that really the author of Hebrews is saying, that is what makes our hope so steadfast and secure. You see, the object of our hope is Christ Jesus. Jesus. Up there in heaven in all of his power and glory, he sustains his people here in the world. Here in the midst of this wicked world, which we said is like a troubled sea, which has no rest. And what does Jesus say? How secure, how steadfast are we here in this wicked world? Jesus said, we read it in John chapter 10, verse 28, Neither can any man pluck them out of my hand. Oh, beloved, there is nothing in us that makes us steadfast or sure. My faith is small. My love is fickle. It is the love, it is the power, it is the faithfulness of Christ that makes our salvation sure and steadfast. Christ Jesus has ascended into heaven. And it is this that settles fast that anchor, our hope, in the veil the forerunner. He has already traversed every step of the race that you and I are called to run. And he has entered into the possession of that which he ran toward, heaven, the throne with God, to be Savior and Lord, And because Christ has been where we are now, we will soon be where he is now. There is in our passage for these Hebrews, some of them were wondering, is Jesus still going to come? Is my faith valid or is it for nothing? Lay hold of that hope that he has set before us Assured of our security. I'm sinful. The world is sinful. It's tugging at me, trying to lure me away or persecute me or you. We are secure. And where does that security lie? Entirely outside of ourselves. We are held fast by the triumphant and ascended Christ Jesus. That's how beautiful the author of Hebrews puts it here. Whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus. Boys and girls, very early you learned what that word means. From Matthew 1 verse 21, you will call his name Jesus For he shall save his people from their sins. So let's look at Jesus then. He ran ahead of us into heaven. He is our forerunner by way of declaration. What does a forerunner do? You... First graders in catechism already learned that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. That was a big word for a kindergarten book to have. What does it mean? John the Baptist went before declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. That people had to repent of their sins. And he declared, behold, the Lamb of God so that's what the forerunner does. Jesus, going up into heaven, carries tidings there. He comes into heaven and he says, I have redeemed all those that thou hast given to me, Father, and not one will be lost. Yes, in heaven, Christ declares openly his victory. He has spoiled principalities. He has led captivity captive. And yes, he gives gifts to men. Psalm 68. But second of all, he's our forerunner, not only by way of declaration, but he is our forerunner by way of preparation. He opens up the way for our prayers and our worship to ascend up into heaven. How beautiful that is. All you have to do is turn a couple pages in the book of Hebrews. And I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, following. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus has prepared the way for you and me tonight, again, to enter into heaven like he did with our prayers and with our worship. And it's found worthy in God's sight because Christ has cleansed us with His blood. Christ is our forerunner, thirdly, by way of declaration, by way of of uh, preparation, thirdly, by way of operation. He has gone into heaven in our name, that is, in our human flesh. He entered heaven not just again as the Son of God in His divine nature, but that human nature that He took on to save us, that was taken up into heaven. And so also we will be taken up into heaven. For we read in the Bible where the head is, there the body will follow. When Jesus arrested Paul on the way on the road to Damascus. Jesus told them he was going to be a minister and a witness of Christ. And now I quote, to open up eyes and to turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 We've been saved to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So as Jesus was taken up that day from the disciples out of their sight up into heaven, so also all of those who believe in Jesus Christ When they die, their soul will go up into heaven to be with Jesus. And Jesus was made, we read at the end of this text, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What a Savior we have. What beautiful assurance was given here. Christ, having warned us of our dangers in the Scriptures, exhorting us to keep on pressing forward, having assured us of our infallible preservation, now the author of Hebrews returns to the point that he started in chapter 5, verse 10. Called to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. By faith, do you have your eyes on Jesus? For the book of Hebrews says he is a high priest, not like the high priest of Aaron's line who always had to stand up doing more work because there was never enough sacrifices for sin, because the blood of goats and bulls doesn't take away any sins. We read in Hebrews, Jesus Christ sat down because of his one sacrifice offered once for all for our sins. And Jesus is entered into heaven for us because he is up there in heaven praying for you and me. Do you doubt me? What did Jesus say to Peter? We just had that recently in a sermon, didn't we? I prayed for you that Satan may not buffet you. He prayed that he would be converted. And he was. How wonderful to have a Lord, Savior, ruler in heaven praying for us. When we're going through struggles or trials, we ask other members of the church to pray for us, don't we? We go to the hospital, we pray for a blessing on the surgery. Going through troubles, we ask for prayers of others. As much as we appreciate the prayers of saints, we have the perfect Lord Jesus in heaven who loves us, praying for us, to his Father. There is a saint I purchased with my blood. You gave him to me. I purchased him with my blood. He's filled with my spirit. Oh, bless him. We have an advocate with the Father. So that when we sin and our sins might rise up, Christ Jesus, as our lawyer, says, But yes, Father, I died for that sin. That sin is gone. In Christ Jesus, in his ascension, we have a sure pledge of our salvation. We're pilgrims many times as pilgrims, we're weary of it. We're looking for the end of the journey. Think a moment of the Israelites. They were pilgrims, weren't they? For 40 years because of their sins, pilgrims there in the wilderness of sin. Ah, when they could step into their own land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, child of God, that's our hope, isn't it? Now we pray. Run the race. And those who run races, they're tired at the end of the race. We fight the battle and we wait for the victory when there's no more fighting. And then the Lord Jesus, when he takes us home, he says, welcome home, son, daughter. Enter into the joy of your master. Yes, we long for heaven. When will we arrive? Well, Christ is our pledge. As he went physically into heaven, so also our souls will go there when we die for the intermediate state. But when Jesus comes back again, then body and souls will be with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ entered into the veil And our hope as an anchor also enters into that veil. And there it finds assurance. Jesus is mine. So we take our eyes off just briefly from our temporal storms and disappointments off our earthly treasures. And we put our eyes to Jesus Christ. Ascended. Ascended and sitting at the right hand of God. The hymn writer says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lain on Jesus' name. His oath, His covenant, His blood, Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee that for a short while tonight we were able to celebrate and reflect on Jesus' ascension into heaven and what it means for us. Oh, how we need a Savior. Oh, how we need that anchor to hold us in the storms or even in the calm times of our life so that we are stayed upon Thee in faith. Hear now our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.